Welcome to Finding Your Epic. This is a show where senior level women share their epic moments, telling the story behind those light bulb experiences where they learned a powerful skill that shaped their career progression. Hosted by me, Jacqueline Frost, founder of Elevate Talent. Today, we are talking with Jane Karczewski. Jane is Head of Investors Business Development at Societe Generale. Jane and I met 10 years ago, and at the time she was the co-chair for City Women, and in fact was the first woman in a P&L role to be on the network board. And I know she'll probably hate me for saying this, but when I think of Jane, the word trailblazer comes into mind. I've lost count of the many times she's been ahead of the curve, and it's always done with such humility. On top of that, each time she does something new, she just fits in and it feels like she's been there for years. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Jacqueline. Excited to talk to you. So on that note of trailblazer, are you happy that I call you that? I guess classic female trait. I'm not necessarily comfortable in a way, but yes, that you call me that. I guess I think that I just do things because it's part of who I am. And it's the way I proceed with business. But I guess when I do look back at my career, I do think of some of the steps I've made along the way and different directions I've gone in, which, yeah, has, has made me a little bit unique, maybe. Well, definitely ahead at the forefront. And when also when you're looking back, I mean, the, today's session is epic agility. So when you look back, when did you think you developed that agility, that adaptability? I'm an only child, actually. So I think quite early on, I adapted myself to be able to make friends quite easily because I didn't have siblings. And also my father was Polish, mother British. My father was very much driving me to experience all sorts of things. And actually, interestingly, although he was Polish, he wanted me to learn German quite early on. So I started that at school and I started going abroad when I was 13. So back in the day, which is sort of going back quite a few years now, going abroad on a plane on your own and being an only child and your parents putting you on a plane to be received at the other end without mobile phones and someone picking you up is quite a challenge for them, I think, now I think about it. But it taught me, yes, to adapt to quite early on. I was put into different cultures to try and develop myself as a person, but ultimately to learn a language. But it, it taught me a lot quite early on, I think. So I think it was at quite a young age, I learned this ability to, to adapt to situations in order to learn from them and get the best out of them. It's fascinating, isn't it? I I do find birth order and family dynamics fascinating. And there is a lot of research on this that suggests that children do tend to find their niche within the family unit early on, and then they use these strategies to, to master life and master business and master relationships, whatever might follow on. And so it's been a big impact, hasn't it, for you? Absolutely. And it's interesting when you look, I, I do a lot of work, obviously, at, at sort of Gen and have done across my career with the next gen and um, graduate hiring and, and bringing youngsters through the curve. And you do start to see, based on their backgrounds and their education, how they're adapting to situations very, very differently, right? And that's where we do need to give back a lot more to some of the less privileged environments around us from a schooling point of view, because they just don't have that sort of support to be able to put themselves out there and and like some of the, the private system gives the children, right? To give them the challenges, which yeah, I think we need to challenge that a bit more. Yes, because so much of 
so many people that bring of course that it's not just a school behind them it's parents as well and of course if you have families where it's just the school the schools can only do so much it's definitely teamwork isn't it teamwork together so if you're missing part of that I, I, I agree definitely what I've been doing for a very long time is trying to level the field in the business world agenda wise and so no you will never get me arguing against leveling the field <laughs> a definitely big proponent of that there's one other thing about your background, because there's a lot of research out there on the importance of P&L experience for board roles, which you do have. So what made you decide to have a career in banking? I didn't actually decide to have a career in banking when I was younger. And I guess this falls into sort of who I am a little bit. So I did languages at university and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with them. But obviously I spent a year abroad as part of that, I spent a year in France and at the time met a Frenchman not my husband, ended up going back to be with him. And he decided he didn't want to be with me anymore. But ended, as a result of sort of moving along a life cycle, I ended up in France and ended up working in the um, VIP lounge of a business lounge in Nice and got approached by lots of businessmen at the time, went through the lounge, but ultimately via that experience, got a job at an FX hedge fund in Monaco. So that's how I fell into finance. But then obviously being part of it started to get the buzz, the excitement, the ability, the, the, the whole joy of sort of trying to think ahead and understand what you were trying to achieve out of a trade or a dialogue with a client. And I like that buzz and the excitement and the fast movement of things. So I think that was when I knew that I'd found something I enjoyed. Then I came back to London and I guess I, I, I sold myself quite well because I'd only been in Monaco two years, but I ended up getting a temporary job at Morgan Stanley on the trading desk. And after 18 months, I was taken on permanently because I used my languages, something that was unique about me above being a female. I used my languages to develop the international client base, mainly in Europe because I spoke French and German. Uh, and as a result of that, I moved into sales and business development. And then I got the buzz of that sort of connecting with clients, solutions, but ultimately seeing figures tick up on a you know, on a spreadsheet or, or a system was was something that excited me. But I think ultimately I liked solving problems for clients and helping them find solutions to make them look good, to make them feel better about themselves. So I think that's how I, I, I fell into it. And it's been my life for 30 years and I'm hugely passionate about it. But ultimately it is about making money for the organization and the client. But I think the cycle has now started to change because it is more about doing the right thing, not only because there's less spread in the system, regulation, increased liquidity, more competitors, but now with the whole ESG approach of which I get heavily involved with the SOCGEN as well, it is about doing the right thing. And I think having built that sort of financial career in the PL, I feel that even in my day job now, I'm able to give back because we're encouraging clients to do the right thing, but encouraging the wider society to do the right thing as well by that, because you're encouraging people to invest in the right way. So yes, I think, yeah, random, random routine, but fascinating routine though, because glamorous start in Monaco. I don't know many people start their careers in Monaco. Well, end in Monaco, don't you? Yes. <laughs> and you know, even just you talking about this now, you know, you're talking about how the business has changed, obviously, hugely over the last 30 years. You're saying more regulation, more competition. So how has your agile approach helped you with your career progression and helped you, you know, with the ever-changing business world? Yeah. So I started my career at Morgan Stanley and that was actually in the heydays. It was the bull markets. Everything was going well. It was, there was a real buzz around getting things done. 
I wouldn't say I get bored quickly, but I was always looking for something new to try and challenge myself. And one of the first things that I think of, even at Morgan Stanley, was I started to develop the Emerging Markets franchise when things weren't really developed. So that was, again, learning something new, putting yourself out there, going abroad, going to Russia at the time, Poland, Turkey, and again, learning from those new cultures and those experiences and how you adapt to those styles of clients to get them to do things the way you think they should be doing them because you believe it's the right thing to do. So that was one example of how I started to use my agility, adaptability. Then towards the end of my time at Morgan Stanley, it was quite apparent that I wasn't going to make MD short term. I got to executive director because there were people above me that were going to get that for me. And then I was approached by Deutsche Bank to go to work for them as an MD. So I went through a quite heavy interview process, ended up getting the role and moving to Deutsche Bank. And I think that was my biggest step, my biggest risk take, because I was managing team, managing a big, a big P&L on my own. And actually, when I, I think that was really tough. And, it, and I know actually, I think back to it now, my husband would say to me, my God, you aged a few, quite a bit politely in, the, in, that, in that experience because you took yeah. a lot. And it was a big, you know, big step up. And a new company as well was new ways of doing things because you had been at an American bank. Exactly. And I moved to a German bank. Now I've worked at both American and German banks. And, you know, I always say fundamentally as human beings, we pretty much operate on a very similar level to say 98% of what we do. But it's that 2% adjusting the differences. And and if you can't adjust and adapt, you can't check. I mean, Deutsche Bank's a huge bank. You cannot one person want them to you know revolve around you. You've got to work to them. But then based on the experience I'd had at a young age, right? I talked about when I was 13 going to Germany, I'd learned to um, adapt my style to the people that were in front of me. And I think that's something I tell the youngsters today. There's a very different approach if you've got a 10-minute conversation with your boss or someone really senior in the organization. You've got to get your message across really quickly versus sitting in a room for an hour with someone who's head of operations where they want the detail. But you always need to know who you're speaking to and how they need to receive you as an and individual. speak their language. Their language. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is a level of emotional intelligence. Um, it does. But you Definitely. learn. You learn the yeah. more you do it as well. Yes, no, complete. And it's interesting because this has been mentioned in other podcasts too. And it's a, a central theme, what others have shared about, you know, aligning yourself, the values to what the company want or aligning yourself to what the goals of the company are and to make sure that you're adding value, moving the dial. And it's a foundation of NLP, which I'm, I'm sure you've heard of before. It's the law of requisite variety. We do share this quite a lot actually in the Elevate sessions. And funny enough, we're doing it in the September session again, because the law of requisite variety says in a given physical system, the part of the system with the greatest flexibility of behavior will control the system. So the more flexible and more agile we are, and the more we can adjust and operate at our best in any given situation, the more likely we will lead to the, the best outcome. And on top of that, there's a very clear link actually in a lot of research out there, and even anecdotally, that between the more the person's able to adapt, actually, the more resilient the individual is as well, which is fascinating, isn't it? The, the knock-on effect of one trait, how it then then knocks onto another another very, very strong trait as well. So a really good positive consequence of, of agility uh, means it helps be more resilient. Has that been your experience? Have you looked back now and think, actually, yes, I, I am resilient too. I can see the connection. Oh, absolutely. Again, because I think 
the roles I did at Morgan Stanley, Deutsche and City were similar in many ways to the final part of my career at City. I moved into another area and took on a broader mandate again and again. I guess, you know, that there, there's a fear factor. You have to be resilient. You're going into another team again. Expectations are high. But the final step was moving to HSBC to run Global Custody, which was completely different to my background, right? So, but I guess to your point, along the way, because I'd had so many changes and had to adapt to different situations, it didn't frighten me so much because I'd tried all these other things. I know that trying something else is, is a good thing to do. You learn from it and it helps you adapt for the future. And it's all about stocking yourself up as an individual to be able to deal with any situation to your point and, and, and be resilient. So I definitely see the interconnection, definitely. Yeah. And even as you're saying this as well, I'm thinking that it probably means that you are, again, going back to the setup, you were a trailblazer at the start, because to be first to do something involves a risk because you're going hugely into the unknown. I mean, there can't be any more unknown than being the first to do something. So I guess everything you're saying is that your ability to take risk was because you thought, actually, I know I'll be able to adapt and get it done. I know I'll be able to respond to whatever's thrown at me and get it done. Yeah, that's true. And actually, I think about it, even (laughs) my husband won't like me for saying this, but at home, you know, if I think about... Or, or, or you may deal with with parents or relatives who are not in the world that we're in on a day-to-day basis. And for them, the smallest thing is a big drama. Whereas for me, it's just like, this is really, <laughs> this is really, believe me, what I have to deal with on a daily basis, this is nothing. But it, it just shows you that because of the experience that I've had and others similar to me have had, it creates this resistance around you because you put the, everything into perspective. And we can also also say that about some life experiences, you know, with respect to We've talked about this on other occasions, how fragile life is and some of the other things that go in our lives around us that make you appreciate that you have to live for the moment and try, have a go, because if you don't, you don't know, do you? You don't know what's going to come out of it, where it's going to lead. No, and, and limiting as well your own your own career progression and your life in that way as well, that you're not living it to the full. It, it's definitely a, a consequence. So when you're taking these risks, one thing that sometimes we get feedback from either the coaching clients or the many amazing, wonderful women throughout the world who are, are on the Elevate program. They will talk about the fact that if they take a risk, the backlash can be worse for women than it is for men. Has that been your experience? You've thought to yourself, hang on, if I put myself out there, then because, I mean, my one of my thoughts behind this is because as a, I was one of the only female in my group. So therefore you're a little bit more visible. Mm. So the visibility is great in some respects because I would go to events and everybody knew who I was because there'd only be three women there out of like 200 men, you know, but it's great. So the visibility is great, but the downside is with that heightened visibility, if you do do something that doesn't work out, then again, you've got that heightened visibility. Have you had that experience? Yes, I think I have. I think I would definitely say that Unfortunately, in the current environment we're in, there's there's definitely the speak around us where male colleagues will say that she only got the job because she's a woman because we're trying to tick that box at the moment, which is unfair, ludicrous. And I've had that when I moved to HSBC, I had one of my former colleagues, stroke bosses say, wow, you must have interviewed well, as in, could you possibly have been capable <laughs> for that job, which I'm <laughs> him. Yes. Um, I don't think he. I don't think he realised what he said or he meant it in that kind of way. But he obviously said it without thinking, and that that made me think. So I do think that, yeah, people do 
look at you more because they expect you to be this strong, powerful woman that's got the role that's going to deliver. But I don't think I've ever let that really frighten me, I don't think, because I do think there are more positives to, a little bit to your point, Ella, to your uniqueness that can really make people want you to succeed. And I do think there's been a, there's a greater movement behind, because I think the percentage of females has increased in the organisations generally, there's that backbone of support where people do ultimately want you to succeed. And I do think that certainly when I look at my, my role now at SockGen and, and, and some of my former ones, but certainly my specific management team around me are like, we're going to make this work, you know, and I'm going to help you, which is good because people are still focused on the fact that we are unfortunately still a bit of a minority and there are the challenges that we get, not necessarily from our direct management who are supportive, but it's that middle tier, the next level down, who are the ones talking about, oh, you know, I'm now a middle-aged white gentleman, so I don't get the same opportunity as my lady colleague over there. So yeah, but to your point, it's more about the visibility. We're still a minority, so it's more visible, whether you're doing well or whether you're doing badly, more on a pedestal. And as human beings, it is in our nature to highlight the negative and forget the positive. And again, there's a huge amount of research around around that as well. Again, I mean, do you think that the comments on the differences in the way that women lead compared to men, that there's lots of comments that say that they're done differently, but actually when it comes to leadership skills, there's very little difference in in the genders of who has the skill and who doesn't. It's really come out that for the vast majority of people, men and women are pretty much on a par when it comes to leadership skills. But do you think that's true of agility? Do you think men are as agile and adaptable as women are? Do you think there's a, a, a gender war there that women are winning? It's interesting. I have two views on that. I think quite often I've seen some of my male colleagues get offered a role that's completely out of their realm, more naturally. Oh, they'll be fine. Let's give them, let them, let them have a go. But actually, of the people that I've seen who have done that, there have probably been more, more failures than successes, maybe because they are less adaptable and less agile, unless they've got political support and they've been in the organisation a long time. But I would say, on the flip side, females that I've seen do that, because of their, I think, generally us women have more of a an empathy and a more of a, a sort of a, a second sense, so to speak. So they can read rooms, they can read characters a little bit better. And I do think that is, is hugely important in leadership. And therefore it allows you to, a little bit to my earlier point, adapt your style to the people in the room to get the best out of them. And that's not just the case for clients, that's the case for individuals and teams at all different levels. So getting them to sort of follow you on your journey I think it is important. I think females have that ability a little bit more. Yeah, it's interesting. As you're talking about giving people what they need and adapting to the individual, I don't know whether you ever, did you ever watch the first show, which is out, yeah, I mean, it's years ago. Do you remember Ron Manager? Yes, yeah. <laughs> the clip with him, I bet you can find it on YouTube somewhere because the clip with him where he talks to the Italian football player in Italian, then he goes on to the, and even does the accents, like the Welsh accent, the Liverpool accent, and talks them all in their own way, the, the halftime pep talk. And I have to say, I always think about that when I think about when you want to get the best out of people, because obviously that was done in humour, but that's the way it works, isn't it? 
that's you speaking the per- literally speaking the person's language, even though it might still be English. You're that's speaking. One of the reasons I found it fascinating because I do do languages, so I used to absolutely love using because I got so much more out of my clients because I was in their culture and used their language. And interesting, my f- husband even teases me now. If we go on holiday to Italy now, I don't speak fluent Italian, but if everything I would say or try and do it with the best accent I possibly can. And he teases me all the time. Or you know, Mummy speaks fluent Italian, speaks fluent Russian, speaks this because I sound like I do because I say the odd word. But I'm trying to connect with the waiter or whoever that is to make them feel comfortable with me. But I think it's also, I think it's a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I do my very best with that. I mean, I, like you, I, I'm, I, I speak languages, but I was joking recently when we were in Portugal at a supermarket and I was just trying to get some chicken and the lady was great and she didn't speak any English and I, I got what I wanted in uh, Portuguese and my nephew was like, oh, I didn't know you speak Portuguese well. I said, no, I think that's probably the worst Portuguese she's ever heard in her life <laughs> because I could tell she was looking at me a bit perplexed because I think I was trying to use Spanish words as you do, but trying to pronounce them in the Portuguese way. I got I got my chicken yes, is all that matters. And she was very happy and she smiled and I said, thank you. Yeah, there you go. That's what's important. <laughs> we, we won, but he was like, I didn't know. No, I don't. That's probably the worst Portuguese she's heard in her life. <laughs> The other thing is what's interesting is that the different in the way that genders can get different recognition, because again, there's a, a study on the, the fact that we were doing this podcast, I did a little bit of research. There's a recent study in Australia from the University of Western Australia that found that women actually get more recognition than their male counterparts for adapting to change in the workplace, which is really interesting. However, there is that risk, isn't there, that where, well, adapting is a great skill, you know, it's, it's overdoing it. So how do you balance this powerful skill so you're still fulfilling your own goals? You know, yes, the team wins and the organization wins too, but you keep an eye on the fact that you're winning too. I think it's always, to your point, you, you have goals in your head in your organization about what you want to achieve. And there are steps that you take to get there. And part of those is bringing certain areas or departments or influences or stakeholders with you. And therefore, the quicker you can connect into that infrastructure, the better. And that's where the agility comes in. Because as you've pointed out, I've moved, as an example, across different organizations with very different cultures. And one of the things I did early on in all those organizations, why I I did actually join the female gender network and some of the others and ended up leading some of them, but that's irrelevant. But it allowed me to connect really quickly with the wider organization to to have friends in different areas to be able to give me information to help me use my agility to succeed. So I think that's how I would say I've used it. You have to be really careful, though, that you don't obviously spend the first six months just going on and having coffees with people to get on with people, because that's not going to get you anywhere. Well, it will get you friends, but it won't help you deliver the P&L. So you have to be tactical about how you use that agility. But I think my response highlights how that can work if you do it with a plan. And it sounds like I'm being a little bit sort of, you know, too structured, but a lot of it comes naturally to me, but I've always got that end goal. Of, I know that I've got to achieve this by that then, and then the next step is going to be that. I love that point you made about building, you know, those relationships so that you could get to the, the end goal. And it's so interesting because in the Elevate session in August, we asked people about what the term political climate or navigating office politics meant to them. And of course, there was lots of responses, as you can imagine, that were kind of negative. People putting their own agenda first, people trying to get ahead. And it was interesting because how we describe 
office politics, the way we define it is we say it's about building collaborative relationships. And when we shared that, we got so much response in the chat box saying, oh my goodness, that's such a good way of looking at this. Because it's what it is. And I don't blame people for being put off something if it's seen as a negative and thinking, well, I don't want to be seen as that person where I'm just about me and my agenda. And of course, there's always a percentage of people who will be like that. But the vast majority, men and women both, and obviously there are men and women who who the more negative aspect of it. But I just think it's a really positive thing. And I think again, back to your your situation, what you just shared there is that building those relationships and therefore being able to use that knowledge is incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. The other thing that I actually just off the back of that point, and I think it really is a point worth making is people can overthink things. And I think females, again, because they do question themselves more, do overthink. I agree. I agree. She was at dinner with a client last week and we had quite a chat about this. She said, you know, people will come up to me and say, oh, I'm not going to do this because I know he doesn't like me. And they think they're almost, they're trying to think what the person's thinking when they're probably not even thinking that. Right. So this whole point that your comment around some people saying that it's all about it's a political agenda and it's negative. Why is it negative? Everyone is doing the same thing and it's all about an end goal. And people are just using their influencing powers for the best goal for the organization and the PL. That's generally what is happening there. I'm, I'm, I'm generally convinced around that because I think gone are the days when it's just about politics because people see through that now. They really do. I agree. They do. Now, we, at the end of all the Elevate sessions, we always end with a final thought, and that's a, a quote either from somebody inspirational or something, just a, a motto or a, a quote that you live by. Mm-hmm. Would you like to share the one that you brought for us today? So mine is, unless you have a go, you don't know. Because that you need to try, learn, and then you adapt. But definitely have a go, otherwise you don't know. No, you're absolutely right. If you don't have a go, you you don't know and you will never know. Mm. That's very powerful. That's a great, great motto to live by. Thank you so much, Jane. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast on the topic of epic agility. Now go find your epic. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to learn more about any of the tools and strategies discussed, please do reach out to us on LinkedIn or contact us via the website on team at elevatetalent.co.uk. Now go find your epic.